Welcome to Westminster Presbyterian Church here in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, my name is Donald Meisel. I minister with my colleagues to and with the people of this Center City congregation. Voices of conscience, key issues in ethical perspective. That's what these Thursday noon town hall forums held some seven times a year, are all about. We invite people to speak, both from the local community and across the country, who know their fields and who are respected for holding an ethical plumb line beside that which they are doing, beside what's happening where they are. In recent months, we've run the gamut subject-wise from politics to medicine to business ethics to psychology. And now it seems high time that we address a subject that somehow uh, bridges the gaps between and among all of those things that I have mentioned, namely sports, the world of sports. Our speaker, appropriate to our subject, is Alan Page. He is currently busy making his reputation as a Minneapolis attorney, having previously made his reputation as an outstanding defensive tackle for the Minnesota Vikings and more recently the Chicago Bears football teams. I place his having received the National Football League's Most Valuable Player Award in 1971 beside his having been honored in 1981 by the National Junior Chamber of Commerce as one of America's 10 outstanding young men. Mr. Page runs marathons. In a word, he loves to run. Uh, nothing that he has done or said by way of promoting that discipline has moved me away from my joining forces and identifying with Calvin Coolidge, who said, you'll recall, I choose not to run. <laughs> General Manager of the Chicago Bears, Jim Finks, said this about our guest. One thing I've learned is that whatever Alan Page tells you he's going to do, he will do it. If he tells you he'll run a marathon, he will run. If he tells you he will go to law school, he will do it. He is an honest person, honest with himself. That's very refreshing in this business. And so I would add to that, that when he says that he's going to make a speech, he will make a speech. And I'm certain that it will be a fine one. And we welcome you here today, Alan Page. <laughs> Dr. Mizell, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity for me, and I've been looking forward to this opportunity for some time to speak with you here today. Uh, as Dr. Mizell said, I am here to give a speech, uh, and as you have probably seen in the ads in the newspapers and uh, in the brochure here today, 
topic for that speech was to be uh, violence in sports. Well, I'm not quite uh, going to live up to that one. Uh, I've decided that because of some things that have happened recently, that there is really another uh, somewhat more important issue and somewhat more pressing issue that I would like to talk about. And that is not to say that the subject of uh, violence in sports is not important. It's been one that's been of concern to me for some time. But I think uh, as, a, as a football player, that's an important issue. I am, however, more concerned about another issue as a parent and as a member of this community. And that is the problem of the student athlete. Oftentimes, we view and look upon those two words as being separate and distinct. And we see them as not really fitting together very well. Uh, that somebody who does both is the exception. That is really not the way it should be, I don't think. We have to clarify our view and try to focus on the fact that athletics and education can go together and should go together. As it stands now, we often see young people who go through high school and through college and who really don't learn very much, oftentimes without even learning how to read and write, and we're not surprised. I remember seeing a 60 Minutes program a couple of years ago dealing with this subject. They had a young man from California who had spent four years uh, going to school at college, and after he had, was done playing his football, he was out of school and he couldn't read very well to the point of not even being able to go to a restaurant with his friends and being able to read the menu. He had to have his friends do that for him. I think that is really an outrage. I've seen this myself uh, up close. When I was with the Minnesota Vikings that last year, we had a new defensive line coach who thought the best way to get through the playbook was to have uh, the defensive lineman read it. That turned out to be a bad idea. <laughs> At the time, there were, there were nine uh, defensive linemen on the team, three of them who didn't have too much trouble, two that did so-so, and the other four really had to struggle. It was very, very difficult for them and I might add a very painful experience for everybody involved. Here in Minnesota we have heard a lot about the, this subject lately uh, because of the Mark Hall case. As many of you may know, Mark Hall was forced to sit out uh, a term at the university because he was academically ineligible. And up until a few days ago, he was still playing basketball at the University of Minnesota because Federal District Judge Miles Lord had ordered the university to admit him and to allow him to play in spite of his grades. What Miles Lord said was that Mark Hall was in school to be an athlete and he was not there to get an education and that the University of Minnesota should live up to its responsibility to him as an athlete. There were a lot of people upset about that. Uh, the NCAA 
certainly several of the Big Ten coaches were not pleased with that choice. But in fact, all Judge Lord did was state what a lot of kids view as, as the obvious. That is that school and sports are really treated as two different things. It's not that athletes are stupid. I think the image of the dumb jock is, is one that has been put on the back burner some time ago. And it's not even necessarily true that uh, athletes are lazy. After all, I can, I can vouch for the time and the energy and the preparation that goes into being an athlete. And anybody that's willing to, to make that kind of a commitment, I think, is, is quite capable of being a success in, in almost any other field. The problem is really bigger than that. I really feel it's, it's an indictment of our whole system that our educational system is failing our kids. As I said before, school and athletics are really, have really been viewed as two distinct things. Kids often see athletics and they see the success in the way that athletes are treated and they feel that they don't need uh, to be that good of a student. And oftentimes they're right. You know, education and getting an education isn't always fun. And even if you're interested and even if you want to succeed, it isn't always easy. And if our young people always see uh, that athletes are treated differently, then they too will try to use athletics as a way of, of beating the system. I spoke at uh, Minneapolis Central High School uh, last year and on this, this subject. And while I was there, I met a young football player they had who wasn't really much interested in going to school. Uh, he didn't attend classes, and he certainly didn't do all the work that was required of him. When I asked his teachers why they allowed him to continue on as a football player, their response was that if we don't allow him to play, we will lose him. I think the sad fact is that they had already lost him. I think athletics can be used and should be used as an incentive uh, for young people to get an education. But in fact, it is often used as a substitute. I grew up in Canton, Ohio. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with that area, but one of the things that it's big on is football. Uh, it's, the, it's the highlight of the area. And I was able to see what happens as I grew up. Oftentimes, athletes there used uh, football as a life raft. They were oftentimes heroes in, in high school, sometime even going on to college. But ending up back in Canton when their uh, football playing days were over, back in Canton on a street corner, I knew from the very beginning that's not, that's not what I wanted for me. And I was lucky in another respect. Uh, school was relatively easy for me back then. I didn't really have to work very hard. And in the ninth grade, I started playing football. And it remained fairly easy through about the 11th grade when I think two things happened. One, the work got a little more difficult. And two, I had learned the system and decided that uh, beating the system rather than 
working with it was the way to go, and I didn't work as hard as I could have. Uh, that trend carried on uh, through my days at Notre Dame, and in fact, I pretty much floated through there and didn't work up to my potential. There are other problems for the athlete, though, uh, in getting an education. And that is, you know, while I was at Notre Dame, we would start practice at about 2 in the afternoon. And by the time we were done, it was 7 or 8 or at night. And believe it or not, by the end of the day, you were usually pretty tired and uh, lacked motivation to go on and, and, and do your schoolwork. That is not to say that there aren't other people who have a job and go to school at the same time, because there are many people that do. But I think the difference is that those jobs generally aren't as physically demanding and nor are they as emotionally demanding. As a football player, and I think this it was true of me, I think it's probably true of most people uh, who are football players and athletes, my focus during the, during the school year was on football. And my view of education and school was really one geared towards maintaining my eligibility. And unfortunately, at least in my case, not much beyond that. I did, however, graduate from the University of Notre Dame. Uh, but there are many people uh, who don't graduate from college. In fact, this, this I find to be a staggering statistic that in the last four years, only one member of the University of Minnesota basketball team has graduated only one member. And in the NFL, uh, almost everybody attends college, but I think there are a disproportionate number of, of people who have not graduated. Unfortunately, it is not very hard to get through school without getting an education. The problem, uh, as I see it, is the way that we treat high school and college athletics. And by we, I mean fans, alumni, and parents. We tend to want our schools to produce winners, and we don't really concern ourselves very much with how they go about that. As an example, uh, just recently, Texas A&M recruited uh, a new coach away from the University of Pittsburgh, Jackie Sherrill, by offer him, offering him uh, almost $2 million to come and coach their football program. I'm sure they view that as a, a pretty good investment and plan to seek to, get, to receive a return on that investment if uh, they have a winning, winning program, which is I'm sure that's why they hired him. Uh, they will increase their revenues by increased attendance at their games. They will increase their revenues by uh, more television appearances and by the opportunity to uh, go to more bowl games. Big-time athletics is, has gotten to be a big-time business. I first began to recognize that at Notre Dame, that the system that we now operate under, it tends to require that we are entertained by our young people and that we consume those very kids who entertain us. We use athletes up, or the system uses athletes up, it spits them out, and when they're done playing, they just throw some more in and start all over again. 
winning is, has become such an issue and it's become so important that education is not seen as, as being all that important. Again, an indictment of the whole system. Another problem is that we hold up our athletes to be role models, particularly for black and minorities. Uh, they have been given the view that athletics is a way of escape, that it's the easy way out, and that that's the way that they want to try to escape the, the problems of discrimination, and the, the problems of poverty. They see athletes who are famous, who are heroes, who earn a lot of money, and they want to make it that way themselves. I think if, if they only knew the truth, that that is really a false hope. The reality is that most young people who want to be professional athletes won't make it. In the NFL last year, there were about 1,400 people that, uh, that played, and only 1,260 of those played at any one, any one time. There are approximately 3,000 to 3,500 total jobs in professional sports. That's every sport combined, 3,000 to 3,500. And those, those are the jobs that are already filled. In fact, there are very few positions that open up every year, and there really is little chance of making it as a professional athlete. And the odds on somebody entering the first grade today be making their way through uh, high school and college and entering graduate school are something like one in 60. The odds for that same first grader making their way through the system and becoming a professional athlete are something like one in 18,000. But let's suppose for a minute that a young person wants to be a professional athlete and they make it. I think the NFL is typical of, of most athletic uh, endeavors and the average career in the NFL is only four and a half years. In fact, I think it's somewhat less than that, but four and a half years really isn't very long. And in reaching that average, there are a lot of people that play one year and a good number that don't even finish out a whole year. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, somebody hits you in the knee the wrong way one day and there goes the, your career. It's over. Maybe you have trouble with uh, the coach and the coaching staff or the organization you work for. Or maybe you're just not good enough. And quite frankly, that's usually the reason. Uh, everybody can't be good enough. Well, the one thing, you never know why and you never know when it's going to happen, but the one thing you can always be assured of is that it will happen. Your professional athletic career will end. If you're one of those really lucky people that beat the odds twice, and say you play for 10 years, where does that leave you? You've built up some expectations, and if you haven't gotten an education along the way, those, those expectations really kind of go out the window when your playing days are over. Oftentimes, uh, you really have no place else to turn to, and I have known any number of people who have found themselves 31 years old, uh, unemployed, and basically unemployable. 
that is a very disappointing position to be in uh, after having had the opportunity and after having spent uh, four years in college. There's always the belief that as, as an athlete you earn uh, a lot of money and certainly athletes are paid well but I don't know too many at least that I have known who have earned enough to last them a lifetime. The average salary in the NBA is I believe something around $186,000 a year. In the NHL it's somewhere around $143,000 a year and in professional football, it's quite a bit lower, something like uh, $80,000 a year. Those sound like pretty big numbers to young people. Uh, and it's hard to focus on the fact that that kind of money really isn't enough to last you a lifetime. And that even if you're one of those very few, uh, you're one of the baseball free agents who really hits the jackpot. And even if they pay you enough money to last, last a lifetime. Say you play for 10 years, you're going to be 31 years old, and you've got a 30 to 35 year work life still ahead of you. What do you do with your time? Not only what do you do with your time, what would you do with your mind for that period of time? Unfortunately, a lot of players beat the odds to get there, and they beat the odds to stay there, and then when it's all over, they're still nowhere. Without, a, without an education, there are really very few choices. And often those choices aren't very good. Education is still very important. I guess this whole thing really revolves around motivation. When I left Notre Dame and after my first year with the Vikings, I enrolled and took the LSAT, LSAT test, that's a law school admissions test, enrolled at William Mitchell Knight School, and after about three weeks, I found that I was in over my head and given that it was a sink or swim situation, I decided to get out of the pool. <laughs> but I knew then and I knew throughout my career that it wasn't going to last forever. And I had to do something so that if nothing else I could earn a living once my playing days were over. It's not always easy making those kinds of decisions as to what you will do for a career. I was involved in a vending machine company. I sold cars one year, and I was a college recruiter for control data. But by 1974, I hadn't made any decisions, and I was feeling trapped uh, as a football player. And one of the problems with uh, playing football is that after three or four years, uh, you don't really grow very much. You don't really learn much new. And in fact, I kind of always view, viewed my career in those 15 years as uh, one year of experience 15 times. <laughs> At any rate, in 1974, I decided to give law school a second chance. And I was fortunately enough able to enroll at the University of Minnesota. Now, a lot of people will tell you, uh, and as they told me, that law school is very, very difficult, and it's hard work, and it's really a rather unpleasant experience. I didn't find it that way. I loved it. I was fascinated by it. Uh, 
My mind was challenged for the first time in a long time. I was stimulated intellectually, and uh, it was a good experience for me. But then again, I was motivated to do it. There were a couple of other benefits to that, uh, to going to law school, which I really hadn't anticipated, but uh, were there nonetheless. First one was that uh, as a football player, I didn't have to play football anymore. And when I was released by Minnesota after, uh, after I graduated, I still had a year and a half to go under contract. And when Chicago made the offer to me to come there, I could choose for the first time in my professional career uh, going and continuing playing football, or I could begin my uh, practice of law. And it was, it was fun to be able to have that choice. The other benefit, uh, which resulted in money directly in my pocket, which I was happy about, was that uh, in 1980, when the Chicago Bears asked me to continue playing uh, after those contracts had run out, I found that uh, suddenly I had freedom and I had power. I could play if I wanted or not and I had power at the bargaining table for the first time in my career. And as I said before, the result was, was money directly in my pocket, which would not have been there uh, but for my having the freedom to go and do something else. I think the one thing that if athletes can learn, and we're always viewed as, as having our eye on the dollar and the dollar bill, that if, if that's your goal, that at least you can take advantage of that by gaining the power of having the education and having the, the ability to go elsewhere. Uh, as soon as I think athletes start to understand that, I think the better off they will be. Athletics and education really can go together. Unfortunately, we tend to treat them as separate and I think that delivers the wrong message to our kids. It's great to be an athlete, but the fact is that uh, being an athlete alone won't fill your needs uh, or what you want out of life if you're not educated along the way. Now, whose responsibility is it to uh, motivate? I think the responsibility uh, is ours as parents and as community, uh, community leaders. I think if we can make athletics and show kids that athletics is a privilege and not a right, that will help. If a young person believes that they only have to play football or basketball or tennis and they don't have to get an education, then it's that much easier not to get the education. I think if it, if it becomes a privilege instead of a right, they will, kids will do better in school. After all, if they see it's easier and more fun and more rewarding to be an athlete, then that's all they'll, they'll do. They won't get the education. But if we as, as parents and community leaders can make them believe that an education is important, and that athletics can be used as an incentive to get that education, I think we'll all be better off. We hold out our 
athletes as heroes. Kids growing up today want to be Magic Johnson, they want to be Sugar Ray Leonard, Joe Green, and Wayne, or Wayne Gretzky. In fact, the president the other day was, was joking about uh, the Washington, I believe it's the Capitals, uh, hockey team, or diplomats, whichever, acquiring Gretzky from the Edmonton team. And his, his line was something along the, the idea of they, that Washington would give Gret Edmonton two first-round choices and the state of Texas. Well, you know, we make, we make athletes our role models. And so it shouldn't be very surprising when kids tend to take us very serious. Oftentimes when I was growing up, young people wanted to be firemen, they wanted to be policemen. They usually outgrew that. Today, young people are growing up to wanting to be professional athletes, and they're not outgrowing it. We need to provide them with better role models especially for uh, black children, poor children, and the other outgroups in, in our society. Holding out uh, athletics as a bar to discrimination and as a way of avoiding being poor, I think, is a sham. Uh, the only way that minorities and the other outgroups in our society are ever going to participate is through getting an education and developing marketable skills. And the role models are available. We, I see them every day. My five-year-old uh, who's in kindergarten has a black teacher. Last year when, 60, when uh, CBS sent a TV crew out to uh, film my family for a segment on its uh, Sunday morning program, they sent a black producer and two black cameramen. The problem is that we don't let kids know that there is hope outside of athletics. Not very many young people know that Andrew Young and Donald McHenry were both black and both, both ambassadors of the United Nations for the United States. And kids need to see that kind of thing. They need to know that there is hope outside of athletics. And as I said before, that responsibility is ours. We have to work with our kids as parents we have to show them that there are possibilities outside of athletics, reward them for, ath for academics just as much as we reward them for their athletic ability. And not that that's going to be easy, and not that it is easy on parents, but I think that's the price we have to pay to show our kids the importance of getting an education. After all, if the child sees the parent really doesn't care, it just makes it that much more difficult for the child to care. Kids want to be athletes. They need to want to get an education. But it, currently, I don't think they're getting the, the right amount of motivation for us. We can't change the Mark Halls of the world. After all, they've already learned the system that exists. And Mark Hall will be out of school soon. Uh, and he was, as Miles Lord said, only in school to be an athlete. But if we as parents and community leaders work to change the system for those now entering, I think we will all be better off. If we can make sure that our educational system concentrates on education, that athletics is used as a motivation to getting an education, that there are positive role models available for kids so that they can see the results, 
and if we encourage our kids in their athletic efforts, then I think that they will see that athletics and education do go together. And with that, when athletics and education work together, I think everybody wins. You know, in football, there are winners and losers. Fortunately, life isn't like football. And if we are willing to work and make changes and to make the system better for the young people now entering, then I think everybody can win. And, you know, I, I really believe that you can never have too many winners. Thank you. Let me reflect that uh, I was a little concerned, but need not have been, that you weren't going to talk more about violence. I think ultimately you were talking about violence, violence to an education and violence to a person's future. I'm certain, however, there are people that are interested here to, to hear specifically about the more, what, uh, confined sense of the word. And I have a question that actually the assistant minister on our staff hoped I'd put to you. He works with uh, high school age young people. Do you feel that high school athletics is too competitive, stressful, and violent? I think high school athletics, and really it goes beyond high school athletics, I think, uh, particularly as it relates to the competitiveness, uh, the attitude nowadays that kids have to start playing hockey in the second and third grade and that uh, the third and fourth grade is the appropriate time to begin a, a football career. I, I think that, to be honest with you, is an outrage and that young people, uh, no matter what the age, shouldn't be subjected to that kind of pressure uh, and not necessarily to that kind of physical contact mm -hmm. because one of the things that happens when the attitude is win at all costs, uh, people will do that. Mm -hmm. They will uh, go overboard, and when that starts to filter down to the lower levels, uh, I think there are real problems. Right. Uh, I couldn't help but think that you spoke about as many minutes as there are miles in a marathon. <laughs> would, you, <laughs> would you care to comment on your love of running? I think that's, uh, people are interested in that side of you. I am a runner. Uh, <laughs> my wife is a runner, and we spend a lot of time together uh, in fact, we find that to be uh, often, oftentimes our only free time together uh, is on the run and uh, <laughs> running away from a lot of things. Uh, but I found that as a way of relaxing and uh, just getting out and, and enjoying uh, the world. Uh, we have what we call adventure runs where we just take off with no particular place to go and go wherever our imaginations take us. Mm -hmm. Marvelous. Question from the floor. Do you think the University of Minnesota or the entire Big Ten should de-emphasize athletics as, say, the Ivy League has? I don't know that uh, the university or the Big Ten or major college sports should be de-emphasized. I think what ought to happen, though, is that we ought to recognize that those athletic programs are really big business, that they are not really geared towards uh, education. Uh, 
they are geared towards generating income. And to the extent that we recognize what we're dealing with, I don't see it as a problem. Another question from the floor. Are there any organizations to help professional athletes who no longer play to get back in the mainstream? There really aren't, to my knowledge, any uh, organizations as such. Uh, one of the things, one of the benefits that players receive uh, as members of the Players Association uh, is uh, some career counseling. They have a career counseling program. Uh, we also, through our, uh, our uh, pension program, disability program, offer some assistance uh, to athletes who have problems making uh, some of those adjustments. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Another question. I'm told that most of the basketball players at the University of Indiana graduate due to the discipline and encouragement of Bobby Knight. Do you believe that this is one of the reasons for his success on the basketball court? I would think that if Bobby Knight has success on the basketball court, it probably has something to do with the whip that he carries around. <laughs> <laughs> I get the impression he's not the uh, most easygoing coach there is. Well, this is the next one that surfaced on the top of the pile. Do you ever use amphetamines to get up for a game? How much use of amphetamines do you see used in the NFL? There you go. I have never used amphetamines to play football. Uh, <laughs> I, it does exist in, in the NFL, and to my way of thinking, it's, it's somewhat of a problem in the NFL. Uh, I never used them because I was out there to play and if I had somebody else playing for me or something else playing for me, uh, it didn't seem that to me it was worth the effort to be out there. Uh, a lot of people find the, the competitiveness and the stresses and the pressure of being a professional athlete uh, they find that they, for some reason, need to use uh, one chemical or another to make it so that they can play. I, I think that if you don't want to do it on your own, uh, some drug really isn't going to make you do it any better and isn't going to help you uh, want to do it anymore. So I guess I, I see the problem. It does exist. If you had the authority, what structural changes would you make in our college student athletic programs? If I had the authority. <laughs> well, uh, I would begin by structuring the system. Uh, you know, co college scholarships today are usually a four-year. You come and you play for your four years and you leave. Uh, sometimes if you're injured, you get to stay around an additional year. I think there ought to be some mechanism whereby uh, athletes could go to school part-time while they were athletes for that four-year period, and then where they would have another year or two once they were done uh, with their athletics to come back and get their degree. And maybe they could, you know, it could be set up so that they could do it at a later date 
when they have matured and they recognize the need uh, to get the education. Part of the problem with uh, some of these kids who are athletes doesn't really lie in the colleges and it doesn't even lie in the high schools. You don't go to school and get through four years of college not learning how to read and write, uh, not getting that, that, that ability in college. You didn't get it in grade school. You know, most kids learn to read and write in the first, second, third grade. And somehow the system is failing kids at that stage. And the sooner that we work to correct that problem, I think it'll make it much easier to correct the problem on the collegiate level. Another question from the floor. Is there racism in the NFL? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it, it really shows up in various ways. The, that outright uh, racism, the refusing to advance players, uh, stacking players in various positions, that exists, and that's a problem. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, black football players make up about 50% of the NFL. Uh, blacks make up about 60% of the NBA and about 30% of professional uh, baseball. As players, we are, you would think, well, maybe there really isn't a problem because we seem to be overrepresented. The fact is that there's no future there and that we are underrepresented uh, beyond uh, life as a player. Mm -hmm. Relatedly, what effect would requiring athletes to meet reasonable academic standards have on the number of minority college athletes? Whether that makes a lot of sense or not. I don't know that it would have um, much effect or more of an effect on minorities than it would on anybody else. Right. I mean, the problem is athletics. Uh, the, the, the problem that I was trying to, to relate to uh, with minorities is that it's oft, athletics is often held out as a way of escaping the problems of discrimination and escaping the problems of being poor. And it just doesn't work that way. Right. Uh, considering the present situation, do you foresee a strike of professional football players? If so, what will management have to do to prevent it? <laughs> do you want the short answer or the long answer? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, and this is a difficult subject for me to talk about because not only am I uh, even still currently a member of the bargaining unit, uh, and a former member of uh, the executive committee of the union. I am also an attorney for the union, so it's, we're walking on uh, eggs here a little bit. But I think I can, I can honestly say that given the past history of collective bargaining in the NFL, uh, it would be very difficult to think of there not being a strike. Uh, that is not to say that there has to be a strike because there doesn't. Uh, I think if reasonable minds are willing to sit down and work together to resolve the problems that exist between players and management, I think a strike can be avoided. Uh, what I have seen to date and the posture that certainly uh, 
management has taken is that uh, a strike may be impossible to avoid. Question, why are academic problems not as prevalent in women's sports? <laughs> why are academic problems not as prevalent in women's sports? Well, I would, could very easily say that women are smarter than men. <laughs> <laughs> that, that may be a part of it, but I think it goes beyond that. Women's athletics have not to date, and they're, they're working in that direction, and I think it's going to come to the, where they're going to be on a par. They're going to catch up with men in that area, too, mm-hmm. that women's athletics to date have not been seen as uh, revenue generators. When they get to the point where they're viewed as revenue-producing sports, I have the sneaking suspicion that they will be in the same position as men's athletics are today. Perhaps this is related. Do you foresee the educational systems of our country being subsidized or aided by, oh, by the professional sports? Knowing, (laughs) (laughs) I'm tempted to say something here I shouldn't, but knowing uh, professional sports management as I do, uh, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But if you think about it, where does professional football get its athletes? From the colleges. You know, baseball, they have their farm systems where they develop their own talent. Uh, Football and basketball get their athletes from the colleges. And it seems to me that the time is now, the time is right, that they start to bear their fair share of responsibility for uh, the expense involved at the college level. So I I think it's a great idea. Uh, How do you view the trend toward professionalism and over-the-table prize money in long-distance running? I wish I was faster. <laughs> Seriously, uh, for those athletes involved in that sport, I think it's a good trend. Uh, after all, if you know, if if we believe in this uh, su- supply-side economics, and there's money there to be made, and somebody's willing to pay it, and somebody's willing to go out and earn it. Uh, they should have the opportunity to uh, earn money just as professional football players do. And there's always the concern that money will somehow corrupt. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's true, I'm not sure. Uh, my suspicion is that if you offer a runner who's capable of running a 30-minute 10K uh, more money if he can move that down to 29 minutes. The fact is that he's not going to be able to do that. You can only run so fast. And I don't think that uh, introducing money into, into running is going to be that big a problem. Thank you. Uh, 
I, it, uh, certainly, it certainly won't help me run any faster. <laughs> <laughs> I had some pleasure last night in reading the July 79 Sports Illustrated article about you, a, a very delightful article. And I think one comment was to the effect that uh, uh, after you became a lawyer, one of your first cases was against uh, the company that's uh, helping to pay for your being here today. <laughs> the Pillsbury. The, uh, yes, the we were company. involved in a little matter. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? We were involved in a little matter. Yeah. Uh, did you win or lose? Well, <laughs> I lost. Uh, <laughs> In the short run, yes. but uh, <laughs> in the long run, actually in the long run, uh, I was in court on a motion uh, to have their uh, complaint, uh, a summary judgment motion to have their complaint dismissed. And I lost on my motion, but we ultimately won the, the, uh, the case on the merits. Right. Uh, question from the floor. What ethics and determination were installed by your parents and home life? Well, I believe that uh, you know, I am the product of my, my environment, and that certainly includes uh, growing up with parents that were concerned that uh, I have an eth ethical view of life and that uh, I have a, a view of what's right and what's wrong, and being and giving me the confidence to uh, act on those beliefs. One of the things that always fascinated me when I first uh, became a professional football player was they have a lot of rules in professional football. You tell you how to dress and when to do this and that. It always, their rationale for that was that uh, you're always representing the team and we want you to look the way we want you to look as you represent the team. The thing that always bothered me about that was that long before I represent that team, I re represented myself. And that if I don't have the, uh, the basic background, mm -hmm. then uh, representing them in the manner that they want wasn't going to be of much benefit to me. Thank you for that. Someone's interested in knowing what your major was at Notre Dame. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I, my major was political science. Uh, and with that degree today, I'm sure I could, if I had uh, 25 or 30 cents, I could go out and buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> that is not to say that uh, I didn't have to work to get that degree. And that is not to say that uh, that it was a bad experience, but unfortunately on today's job market, uh, political science majors aren't uh, at the top of the list. Next question. In the new profession of being agents for professional athletes, or is the new profession of being agents for professional athletes going to hurt professional sports because of the million dollar contracts and, and what sports uh, and, and won't sports uh, uh, public lose interest? I don't think uh, sport, the, sporting, the, the fan, so to speak, is going to lose interest because as long as there are athletes out there uh, who are working and playing as best they can, 
I don't. I I think that which makes them go to sporting events now will still be there. The fact that somebody makes a million dollars playing baseball really doesn't have much to do with his ability to play baseball. Uh, you don't, as I was saying about the runners, uh, you can't be a better runner, you can't be a better football player or baseball player uh, because somebody pays you more or less money. You have the ability that you have and at least from the athletes that I've known and, and been with, they're only going to give you so much anyway. Whether that's 100% or 25% or 50%, that's not going to change based on the amount of money they earn. Uh, the idea that uh, the amount of money uh, has an, an impact on the play, I don't think really, really holds much weight. And not only that, but if a team is willing to pay, uh, why should an a athlete say, wait a minute, I don't want, you're going to give me a million dollars here, I really don't want it, I don't really need it. If the team has the ability to pay and the will to pay. Nobody's forcing, uh, nobody's sticking a gun to, to uh, anybody's head and making them pay athletes millions of dollars. The money must be there. These are wise, at least to hear them tell it, wise and prudent businessmen and they are there to earn a dollar. If, uh, if they have to spend some to earn some, then why should the athlete be the one to bear the burden of, uh, of the responsibility for things going downhill at that point? Mm -hmm. What are your views about going back to your hometown, Canton, Ohio, and being inducted into the Hall of Fame? People keep asking me that question. And to be quite honest with you, I don't have a view. I didn't play football in high school or in college or uh, 15 years of professional football uh, to be in the Hall of Fame. I played because I enjoyed it, because I was good at it, and because it was uh, good for me and good to me. I wasn't doing it to uh, to be in the Hall of Fame. And, and to be honest with you, if that happens, that'll be fine. But if it doesn't, that'll be fine also. Is it possible that Alan Page may someday pursue a career in politics? <laughs> I was hoping we would uh, get through these questions and answers without that, that particular <laughs> question, but well. we didn't make it. I don't know. Uh, I can envision myself uh, involved in politics. I can envision myself as an office holder. I have a terribly difficult time visualizing myself as an office seeker. Mm -hmm. uh, we have time perhaps for one or two more questions. What specific approaches do you use with your own children regarding their education and their athletic activities? <laughs> to hear them tell it heavy-handed. <laughs> Uh, pretty much it, it runs the, the whole spectrum from uh, helping them with their homework when I can, and there are times when I can and times when I can't, uh, encouraging them to, uh, to do their work, sometimes more than encouragement, demanding. Uh, our kids are not allowed to watch television during the week. 
whether they get their homework done or not. And they're not allowed to watch it during the weekends if they don't get it done. So that uh, we're pretty strict with them. Mm -hmm. Marvelous. I did. <laughs> I, I, I think if they could respond to that, they wouldn't think it was so marvelous. <laughs> well, you have shared of yourself very generously. I saw you taking a quick look at your watch. The fact is that we've just about run out of time, but we, we thank you for this time with you. We, we hope you'll come back, and uh, we would like to give you another hand. Thank you. <laughs> thank you all very much.